HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special recording at Treadwell Park, a really great uh, brew bar on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. We've got guests from Brasserie DuPont and Lost Abbey here with uh, Ann Becerra. How are you, Ann? I'm so happy. Like the happiest I think I've been in a while. Well, this is cool. We haven't really done a, a live show before uh, you know, on premise with with guests like this. And, and tell us about this program that's, that you're doing at Treadwell Park. Yeah, so I think it's just, you know, obviously we. We're in the Upper East Side. Um, a lot of people that have come in today said, I've never go above 14th Street, but the space is really good. You know, we have a lot of space and ping pong tables, 20 draft lines, and uh, a really fancy draft system that I'm so excited to play with, the uh, flux capacitor. It's going to be a good time. And this was great. So the, you guys brought together uh, Lost Abbey and uh, Brasserie DuPont, and, and they made a collaboration. So part of the show will be tasting three, maybe four beers uh, from, from these guys. So let's talk about how you, you came together. A little bit of introduction. You know, Olivia and Tome, you know, you're a big fan of Belgian-style beers. Why don't you give us some backstory on this project? So I was contacted by the, the great people at, at TBS, um, which is Total Beverage Solutions. They're the importer for the Saison de Pont beers. And I was asked if we'd be um, interested in collaborating with Olivier and the, the brewery on something. And um, that's one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities you certainly don't say no to. So uh, very excited. Um, one of my favorite beers in the world was Saison de Pont. Um, very inspired by the yeast and the flavor that the beers produce. So I was super excited to meet Olivier in uh, January and just get a chance to experience the brewery and then um, share that experience through the collaborative beer process. That's great. And Olivier, 
you know, what was this process like for you? Well, first, it's his first time in the States. So he's really? never been to the United States, oh, never okay. been to New York, and he's coming in like a whirlwind, so I know. So, Go slow with him. Be easy. <laughs> I was also really interested by this project because we, we never did a collaboration brew before. It was the first time we did a, a collaboration brew. And um, I knew Tommy's experience, and uh, I knew Tommy knows a lot about Saison Dupont. And so uh, it was really interesting to, to, to combine the two ideas, the two philosophies of these two breweries. And uh, the idea was to, to brew a kind of Saison. Uh, with the saison way to work uh, from Brasserie Dupont, with the yeast uh, Dupont. And uh, the idea was to to bring the, exper the expertise of Tommy with uh, a selection of uh, specific hops who could match with the, the saison style. Cool. So you guys are doing a, a rollout. You guys are going around New York. Yeah. And, and where else are you going? Yeah. And um, so it was really interesting for, for us. So we're, yeah, we're going we're to leave here. We're going to go to Philadelphia. Um, we're going to jump on an airplane, head to the West Coast, um, Los Angeles, San Diego, and then we're going to finish the trip in San Francisco. That's great. So, Tommy, tell us about, for, for you, when you think about yeasts, you know, Saison de Pont. Everyone knows Saison de Pont, I'm sure. And I uh, know that. Don and Wendy, years ago, and they read Michael Jackson's book, and they kind of saved Saison, the Saison from Saison de Pont. Um, you know, tell us about your experience with Saison Le Pont and your interest in yeast and everything. I, I think that the yeast that they use in their beers is one of the most distinctive yeasts that you can find in, in brewing. Um, there's a few signature yeasts that, that are very um, characterful and, and you just have, have markers and triggers. And this is one of those yeasts that has a, a heavy trigger to it. And the thought of being able to actually work with them at the brewery um, using their yeast was very important because there's a lot of this type of yeast on the market that claims to be the DuPont yeast, um, and it produces a lot of flavors that are similar, but to actually go to where it's produced and to use the tanks and to balance that against some of the American hops that we wanted to use was, like I said, a really a truly once-in-a-lifetime experience because there's a lot of flavor in that yeast that, that can only be made at that brewery, and to, to get it made, you have to go to the brewery. Olivia, can you talk a little bit about the way that you treat your yeast? I mean, I was fortunate enough to go, and it felt like a little baby, you know, being held. And every step of the way, it was just, you know, so coddled and just so interesting. How, what is the process, you know, during your fermentation, during your, you know, cooling, everything? Can you just talk a little about that? We still use uh, the yeast that my grandfather used in the years uh, 50. And uh, it's really important for us to keep the same yeast. And uh, it's, as Tommy said, it's a specific yeast. We, this yeast gives a lot of um, phenolic character, a lot of clove in, uh, in the beer. But it's also um, a really um, difficult yeast to manage because uh, this yeast uh, like uh, warm temperature to, to be able to work. Uh, you cannot uh, multiply the yeast uh, as you want. Uh, you need to be very careful and to, to select uh, each um, fermentation vessel you use in order to, to, to choose the right, the correct fermentation to to um, collect the yeast for the next brew. It's a, a really um, um, special yeast, uh, difficult to, to, to manage. Uh, and then Olivia, I can say, okay, so. Yeah, okay, so. Uh, but, um, okay. Here, but what was it like when, when Tommy came okay. to Belgium? So it was your first collaboration. Yeah. Tell us about you know some, some things you guys did together, experiences you had, part of the brewing process. For example, we, 
for this uh, collaboration brew, we, we kept the same way to work in the brewing room and the fermentation vessels. But uh, with Tommy coming with a specific uh, selection of hops, uh, this gave us the opportunity to, to discover different hops because for our beers, we always use the same five varieties, always uh, four varieties for the traditional beers and one for the organic beers we produce. And so we have the habit to, to work with these, uh, these varieties. And uh, Tommy brings a lot of uh, totally different hops. Uh, and it is good for us to, to, to have the, the opportunity to, to work, to, to, to experiment uh, different smells in, uh, in our beer, different tastes. Uh, and also, Tommy chose up that match really good with, uh, with our beers. Yeah. You just, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But you just mentioned the organic, uh, the organic beers, and I think you guys were one of the original breweries in Belgium to do that, right? How did that we get started? We were the first in Belgium to, to produce uh, organic beers, uh, and we have now uh, a range of six different beers, six different organic beers, uh, all from the saison style, but also uh, um, white beer. And also a new beer with a peated malt in the, in the beer. Yeah. Peated malt? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the next one we're going to try, right? So he's bringing over the rest of the, um, of the foray. If you guys want to talk about that, I think he's, ours are on the way, but I think everyone has the second beer in front of them by now. Cool. Yeah, if you want to walk through a little bit about the tasting of the foray. The organic? Yeah, in this beer, you also find the, the clove character, but maybe... Uh, stronger than in the, the Saison Dupont uh, that comes also from, from the malt we, we use for the for the foray. Uh, we have some precursors for clove in, uh, in this malt uh, but the same yeast we, we, work, we work the same way for the Saison Dupont, for the foray, for uh, the Bonfeu, it's always the same ingredients, uh, organic of course for the organic production but always the same way to brew, the same way to ferment uh, but the yeast works differently due to the different uh, sugar content in, in the world and so the the kind of alcohols that are produced by the yeast are, are different uh, Tom, delicious. Just, uh, weigh in a little bit you know, you brought in some American hops what hops were you using in the collaboration? So we've produced a beer at the Bray um, every year in the Saison style called Carnival and it's got Simcoe and Amarillo in it and um, We've got a set of new hops that are on the market these days that are called Mosaic, and Mosaic's a very interesting, very highly citric um, and quite spicy hop in the scheme of things. So um, we wanted to ship those over, and so those are the three hops that really I think are going to be featured in the Duomise. But um, we also use a little bit of Magnum to bitter, but I thought the, the process was super exciting because we sent the hops over in advance of getting to the brewery, um, but they didn't open the boxes, and it was not until the brew day that we actually opened the boxes and went through and smelled the hops. And um, my, my favorite part of the process, which I wasn't able to take part of, um, I think would have been the next day after the fermentation started. And Olivia can speak to the way that the, the brewery actually smelled um, on day one and day two during the fermentation with the esters and, and the, the hops producing a citric and um, just a, a texture and the, and the aroma and the, the, the blow-off of the fermentation, um, just the way that the brewery smelled. Uh, many, many years that they've been producing um, the, the Saison-style beers with those five hops, and we put three new hops into the beer, and the brewery smells completely different. Um, and I think that's just such an, an, an interesting experience for this beer. It's true, and uh, we didn't open the box before because uh, it was uh, Tommy Ops, so uh, we didn't open the box, and uh, it was... Uh, so respect, a respect, you don't want to open the hops up. 
And so it was a, even this day a great experience because when you, you take the up in your hands and you, you smell, we found a new, new taste, new, new smells uh, on this day. And so we brought uh, on Friday. We have a drink uh, at the end of the day. And the next day, on Saturday morning, I come to the brewery. I came to the brewery to to control each fermentation vessels, and I didn't think to the to the special brew we, we did before. And uh, when I go inside the cellar, the smell was totally different than it uh, has ever been before. Uh, a lot of grapefruit uh, in the cellar, uh, citrus uh, aromas. Uh, it, it was a great surprise for me when I. Going uh, went in the the, the cellar. You look so amazing. Cool. You look we want to get these guys talking. About <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. That's cool. Besides any besides uh, Lost Abbey, is there any American IPAs that have stood out to you that you thought you know, wow, that's really something? I have not a great experience of uh, mm-hmm. beer from uh, from abroad. Uh, I taste every beer I can uh, <laughs> I can have, but uh, I had some uh, some great experience with uh, some saison coming from. Uh, different countries, but I'm not really a fan, a fanatic of uh, IPA. Um, I like bitterness. I like uh, aromatic bitterness, Mm -hmm. but um, not always uh, IPA. (laughs) When we get him to to San Diego, we'll we'll make sure it'll be fine. (laughs) So, Tommy, if you get Olivier to San Diego, what's the, you know, San Diego West Coast IPA 101? What would you school them in? I think the, the the coolest part about getting to San Diego and, and the IPA that we that we're, we will taste, um, it's just the the interesting aromas that are coming out of these new hop varietals, and um, I think it's exciting to to know how much of a baseline they have with these five varieties, but to be um, to to be experienced with the new couple things that we brought, and then there's so many more hops that. You know, he'll get a chance to see and um, just to have your eyes open to the, the possibilities. Um, I'm not expecting that he's going to go back home in 10 days and, and uh, order all these new American hops and change every beer um, that they produce. But at the same time, to think that that, that yeast can do more or have new partners um, and just to, to experience it. But you have to you have to drink it and, and you have to drink it fresh. And so it'll be exciting to be in San Diego. You know, DuPont, over the years, we've tried a lot of different beers from you guys. A few years ago, you had the Rodor Pills, which was, to me, new. Has anyone had the Rodor Pills? Uh, it's one of my favorites. I don't know if you still distribute that here, but that was great. Do you ever think you'll make more of a, a, a an hoppy kind of IPA saison hybrid after you've done this project? Yeah, we, we could do it before. I, I'm sure Tommy will be able to, to convince me uh, to, to brew this kind of, uh, of beer. Uh, Yes, we'll see. We are, we are open to, to any new things. We like to, to keep uh, our standard. Uh, Saison Dupont, Moinette Blonde, uh, the Bon Vieux, Red or Pils, of course, also, because thanks to, to the Pils, to the Red or Pils, uh, the brewery could survive uh, in the years uh, 40, 50, because the Saison production in our brewery was really declining. And uh, if my grandfather didn't start to, to brew Pils, uh, the, the brewery should have to close the doors. And so I have some respect uh, for, for these pills, and it's why we never stopped to, to, to brew the, the, the Red Door. And uh, strange, but no, since uh, two years, we are producing more and more of the Red Door pills. Uh, and for the first time, uh, we sell the, the pills by pallets, because before it was only a few crates, uh, and now it's pallets and pallets. Uh, but uh, we are also, of course, open to, to, to brew any new things. Huh? 
You know, and it's fun to do a show talking about one beer. We did a show once about Orval. But really, this is almost going to be the Saison Devant show. Um, I'm all right with that. You know, I remember, so Don and Wendy, how many years ago? 35 years ago. We started to work with Don and, and uh, Wendy. But they, they almost discontinued Saison. There was a one yeah. time when Saison was almost They started extinct. in Saison du Pont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they started in 1993, 92 or 1993, with Saison du Pont. And thanks to, to them, Saison du Pont could be uh, known. Uh, in the U.S. and uh, is it true they begged you to let them import it? Trust us, trust us. Let us <laughs> import it. Americans will love this. It's my uncle. Yes, it was my uncle that uh, was in charge of the brewery before me. And uh, as he sold uh, less and less saison, he was afraid to to start a new market with saison du pont. And so his idea was to was to sell a lot of Moinet Blonde because it was the beer number one of the brewery uh, at this time. And so he was afraid to start with Saison du Pont, and he, he put some pressure to, to Don and Wendy to, to start with Moinet instead of uh, Saison du Pont. And uh, I'm quite, quite happy that they choose the Saison du Pont instead of the Moinet, because uh, personally I drink uh, a lot of Saison, but not a lot of Moinet. Tommy, tell us when you, when you were started as a brewer, you know, you're exposed to Belgian-style beers, maybe the first time you had a Saison du Pont or other Belgian beers that inspired you? So I'm 42. That means I've been drinking for uh, 25 years now. Um, and um, I remember my first Belgian beer. Um, it was Rodenbach and, uh, well, after Chimay, of course. But um, my first really interesting Belgian beer was Rodenbach. And I, I thought, this is incredible that this is beer, at least, you know, beer being the, the heritage of the Belgian beers. And, um, you, you know, you, you, you drink Chimay, you drink Rodenbach, you learn about Saison de Pont, you start to, to walk through these very classic beers. And mind you, this is 20, 25 years ago, um, when getting your hands on them was not the easiest thing. Um, but every single one of those beers had a very distinctive signature, and a lot of it was yeast-driven. And of course, and I've said this before, that the DuPont beers have just a, a massive signature yeast character. And um, you think about how that can behave in a beer. So many of our American beers um, in the past have been very yeastless, and these beers are very yeast-forward and driven by that character. And, and I think the expressive na nature of the yeast is what defines these beers. And I think it's awesome to know that they've had a brewery around for as long as they have. And it's still that same yeast that's in charge of the beer. So for me, it's always been about the flavor that the yeast brings to the beer. That's great. I mean, do you feel that people are going to go get more interested in Belgian-style beers? I felt like when I started, I was more like you. I wanted to try Belgian beers. And to me, that's what good beer was or craft beer. My hope is, is that because there's Belgian beers being produced all around the world now, um, the sense of you can put a Belgian yeast or a yeast that came from Belgium in anything and, and say that it's sort of Belgian-styled is a little bit difficult. I think that there's some amazing beers that people are forgetting about, and the hope is is that the, that the classic beers stay classic um, because they are continue to be produced at a very high level. Um, I think that, that Belgian anything right now that isn't made in Belgium is a little bit challenging. So we always talk about our beers being Belgian-inspired, um, because we're not Belgian and we don't make beer on a farm, um, you know, near the French border. But what we love is the sense of what the flavor can be, and, and that flavor for me usually comes from the yeast. All right, man. Well, cheers, everybody. Let's make a toast. This mm -hmm. we're live at Treadwell Park. Does everybody have the collaboration? Yeah. Cool. Yes, this is everyone's official first taste of the collaboration. I didn't cheat. I wanted to have it live. Um, 
Can who wants to? In fact, and and wouldn't let me taste it. I wouldn't let anybody taste it. This is the best. This is the reveal. Um, But tell me, is there anything you want to like talk about specifics as far as flavors, aromas? If you were walking someone through this beer, yeah, it's 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 got that classic sense of where it came from for sure. But I think that the. The, the most interesting note in the beer for me is it's got a little bit of a tart edge to it, which um, there's just enough of an acidity to differentiate it from the, the first two um, DuPont beers that came out. And I, I think some of that's the, that juiciness from the hops. So that real citrus and, and some of the grapefruit quality is really shining through. And, you know, you're, you're, you're getting the baseline sense of the yeast in the first two beers, and now it's behaving a little bit differently from the, the physical uh, use of the American hops and, and some of that. And, and I like that acidity. I think it's a really interesting note. Yeah, and if I'm talking to you, maybe what's the possibility of a barrel-aged version of this, perhaps, down the road? I'm talking to him. Or talking to you. I'm talking to the barrel uh, guy whose barrels we don't get because yeah, he's in New York. It's, um, this would be an interesting beer to put some, some more wild yeast into it and, and to see. But um, we've never had a lot of luck with our Carnival um, in a very similar basis um, being barrel-aged. So I'm going with, I'm going to drink it this way. Well, it's perfect like this. I just, yeah. We'll take a short break, back in a few minutes. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Back on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. And tell us about Treadwell Park because we're right here on First Avenue. We're not too far from the Jeffrey. It's kind of like an undiscovered part of New York City. Beer There's not that many beer bars around here, are there? I know. And, you know, it's nice. It's nice to come. We're all friends with the guys at the Jeffrey, obviously. Um, I just, what I like about it is that they're willing to, you know, to, to kind of understand good beer. They're excited about it. You know, they're letting us do something like this. We're not open, you know, and we're here because everyone has that same kind of passion and excitement. Yeah. And also for the classics. Like, I was going to ask you guys how you feel because... You know, especially now in the age of social media, which we like, don't get me wrong, we're all doing it. We have our hashtags and all that jazz. But I feel like everyone's so excited for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That Do you think if a Cezanne DuPont equivalent were to come out now, people would even give it that level of long-term respect? Is that even possible anymore? Or do you think that good is good and that's it? I, I talked fast. I know. Sorry. <laughs> that might have been a language thing. But, you know, like, just do you think it's possible to have a beer come out now that this that would be this good and have this, like, long of a, how do you want to put it, this a longevity such as Saison DuPont, years and years and years, and people are still saying it's the best beer in the world? Or do you think that everyone's just so excited about the next thing that, too bad? I think it, everything can happen. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Tell me, what about you? Yeah. 
We um, we live in an age where yeah, where people want something new every day, um, and I think that's going to change because I think there's so much crap that's new, um, and I, I'm hopeful. You say that again, Tommy. There's so much crap that's new. Um, there's so much new that's crap. Either way, um, I think it. I think that classic beers are going to matter. I think they're going to continue to matter, and they've always mattered um, because they are. They're a baseline. You need to establish what good is, and and if you even treat. Um, if you think about what, what good is in the wine world, or you know, there's there's legacy in those things. Every brewery that starts up today wants to be around 50 years from now, and you can't be around 50 years from now if every day of the week you're changing what your beer is. Um, so you have to find that that baseline. And what Olivia and I spoke about in, back in January, and he just said was most interesting to me was how close um, they came to not surviving as a brewery. Um, were it not for the Pilsner carrying the brewery forward, we might not even be exposed to Saison de Pont today um, because they, they, needed, they needed to have something to carry that bridge. But DuPont, the, the classic is now the, the biggest selling beer. And, and without the, the Pils, we may not have ever been exposed to the classic, you know, the classic DuPont Saison. Yes, when I started on the brewery 26 years ago, we were brewing uh, one or two brews of Saison du Pont per year. Per year. It was really nothing. And, uh, yeah. and years after years, Saison de Pont became again product number one of the brewery with the biggest goals uh, in the range. That's great. Well, and uh, just tell us about some of the guests you've invited today. I know there's some industry people here. Some just invited a bunch of people who I thought would appreciate it. You know, we've got people but, here from Palette Magazine, from Thrillist, from the, the Chico Market, from Unibrew, from Sierra Nevada, from the specialty. The Chico's here, really? Why yeah. don't put their hands and, up? And their mom is listening again. And they're cousins, right? They're cousins. <laughs> yeah, you know. There's some amazing people that you, you know. Well, I just think everyone has the same understanding of, of quality and the same kind of level of respect for, for what makes something really great. And not just the product, but the story. And Tony coming in from Ale Street News, which is great. Tony Ford. Um, and you got Zach Mack here from yeah. Alphabet City Beer and Thrillist. Yeah. So, wow. you know, I think we're all in this together, and I think we all appreciate the same. And just speaking of us being here in New York, like, is there something, I guess this goes to both of you, to California and to Belgium, about your environment and where you come from and kind of how your environment influences the beers you brew? I think so, because uh, I come from a, a small village, uh, we have a, a small farm brewery, uh, buildings from uh, 1759. It was only a farm before, and it became a farm brewery in 1844. And uh, at this time, the, the big farms had, had a lot of people to work on the fields in the summer. And in the winter, they were busy to malt some barley. We still malted barley until 1998. So, uh, oh, right. 1988, sorry. Wait, did you guys catch that, that they malted... All their own barley until 1998. What happened with uh, 1998? We had the fire in the evening, uh, so we decided to stop because uh, we we could lose the brewery due to the fire. And so um, they were brewing a beer during the winter, and uh, that beer was drunk during the summer by the people working on the fields. That means that they were producing a, a refreshing beer, uh, a dry beer, a refreshing beer with a low alcohol content, uh, no residual sugar at all in, in the beer. And uh, this is the season, season style. And so uh, all the range of beer we produce now, it's really inspired by the season style. Uh, and so we could not brew Monet, Bonveux, uh, Mongstot, uh, if we had not been inspired by the season style. Awesome. What about California? 
we don't get your beers here again. I said it yeah. maybe just to kind of hint, hint your way, but uh, someday. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that we could be brewing on two completely more opposite spectrums. Um, having visited the brewery in in the uh, in January and to see the farmstead and to see um, you know the the old buildings and just how different that is. I mean, we have a brewery that's been around for 10 years, and it's in a tilt-up building in the middle of an industrial warehouse in San Diego, and um, to say that our beers are inspired, you know, we take our inspiration from so many different breweries, but these guys take their inspiration from the amount of years that they've been producing um, as a family, and, and the, 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 the legacy of the uncle to the to the cousins and things along the way. Um, the, the heritage, the pass-off, you know, the, the family basis of what they do is absolutely Belgian in its makeup, and it's very different um, than I think than a lot of the industrial brewing that craft brewers in this country sort of represent. I mean, we literally are in a concrete building, um, and they're in a brick brick building from 200 years ago. I couldn't imagine them being any more different than that. Uh, that being said, the end goal is to make the best beers possible, and I think that that, that is the, 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 shared, the shared space here. Sweet. It's great having you guys on the show. Um, at some point, the audience can contribute little cards, and we'll ask some questions. Um, that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> what does everybody think of, of this new beer, though? I mean, it's the first time I tried it. I love I it. I like it. Again, and save some, everyone save a little bit of all your beers because we have plenty of cheeses. And I know your wife is the cheesemonger for the area, right? She makes the cheeses. So these beers, so many people I've spoken to said the first aha moment for beer and food pairings was... Uh, Saison DuPont with XYZ fill-in-the-blank cheese. And I think these are all going to go great with what we have. Um, but the next one that we're bringing on, which I'm so excited, the Posca Rustica, right? So speaking of terroir and, and the story and where you come from, can you talk a little bit about how you brewed this beer and who you brewed it for and how we have it? Because it's a really cool story. So Posca Rustica, it's something really special because uh, three kilometers from the brewery, we have uh, an old... Um, archaeologic site, uh, Gallo-Roman uh, site. And uh, this site uh, opened its uh, doors uh, 30 years ago. And they uh, asked Basquiat Dupont to, to produce a, a special beer, a specific beer for this site. And, so, and uh, one of my uncle was, was an historian, and he did a lot of uh, research studies in order to find some ingredients that uh, were used at this time to, to produce beer. And so for this beer, we, we work with a combination of, uh, of malted barley, but also malted wheat. Uh, we use a really small quantity of hop because uh, we are obliged to, to use some hop in order to, 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 have a, to be authorized to sell a beer in Belgium because to produce a beer, you need to, you need to use hop. Uh, and we replace a great part of the hop by different herbs uh, and different spices that we we find we found in the garden of the brewery or also uh, that we buy. And so we have ten, ten different uh, spices and herbs to use with, uh, with this beer. Yeah, and it, for a while it was only available at that site. Sorry? Right? For a while it was only available at that site. In Belgium it's only available in, uh, in this site and we are authorized to, to sell the beer abroad. Cool. And now it's only in, it's in New Jersey, so we had our lovely friends from TBS truck it in from New Jersey so we could have this today, but it's, it's so yummy. It is really great. You know, it's, 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 it's a nice... Uh, did you set up the tasting, in terms of the beers that we're tasting yeah, yeah. today? I figured we'd you know, 
Yeah, it's, it's a great progression. I mean, and... everyone, this is pretty awesome tasting, isn't it? I think so. This is really great. Hey, uh, Tommy, um, you know our good friend Steve Hindy in his, in his book? I don't know if anyone has read the Steve Hindy's Craft Beer Revolution. Pretty great book, and he covers a lot of the guys, from, especially from the 90s in the United States craft beer scene. There's a quote from you. I, I looked it up on the internet on my way over today, but he just said, Tom, Tom, Tommy Arthur, uh, he was inspired by the new Belgium, La Folie, and you talked about some of the Belgian beers that inspired you. Um, I, I want to dig deeper with you. You know, this is our first time sitting with you. Um, you know, you got a chance to work with, with the DuPont people. So again, a little more of the, the Belgian inspirations, things that got you started as a brewer. Yeah, I, I really, I, I do remember those, just those first times I had some of those Belgian beers, and I, like I said, I, I, I Chimay Red was the very first Belgian beer I ever tried, and I remember my first Rodenbach, and I remember my first um, Saison de Pont, and and then working, you know, I, I had Michael Jackson's book, and you know, you'd open it, and you'd say, oh look, there's Rochefort, and there's these, and there's those, um, but I believe that in order to really appreciate these beers, you have to go to Belgium. There's such a, a vast difference in the flavors that we get here versus there, and we were speaking to over lunch, just how fresh they drink the beer versus it coming here. And it's not to say that it's old when it gets here. It's just very different. Um, I remember being a huge fan um, of, of the Rochefort beers, specifically the 8 and the 10, and the quality of the, the, the sweetness and the balance in those things. And then I remember the first time I got to go visit the, the brewery and drink the beers at 6 and 8 weeks old and how hoppy they were, incredibly hoppy, versus what we get over here. And to understand how the beers behave in Belgium and what it means to be a Belgian beer drunk in Belgium in situ, you know, and, and, and experience it that way, that's a lot of what I think we see as a craft brewer in this country is when someone gets a three-week or four-week-old IPA and the vibrancy of it versus six weeks or eight weeks. Um, you know, you have to appreciate the beer at the source, and I think that's, for me, that's been traveling to Belgium to be a part of this. Um, any chance I get to go to Brussels and spend time at Cantillon and discuss blending and, and sour beers, things like that, it's... It's building on that, on that base knowledge. Hold on for one minute. We'll take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here at Treadwell Park, a live show with uh, Tommy Arthur, Ambassador, and Olivier from Brasserie DuPont. So, um, Tommy, keep keep going. You were talking about, you know, the difference between making a beer in, in, in Belgium and, and local beers, and keep going, man. You're doing I, I think it's I think it's really important that brewers, you know, you you have to get out and experience why things taste the way they do, and you have to. And I think. One of the coolest parts about this collaborative process was actually going to their brewery and seeing the things that get talked about, the, the higher temperature fermentation, um, the, 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 the square fermentation vessels, the, the yeast harvesting, the process, and understanding their methodology versus what you've read or what you've tasted and really, truly sensing it but experiencing it from that, that aesthetic to, to look at it and to understand how it behaves. We were there um, on a day where they had harvested... Um, they had moved beer from one tank to the next, and I was able to to just look inside of a vessel and as a brewer to see some of the stratification, um, the way that the yeast sat in the tank previously during the fermentations, um, and just understanding how markedly different 
that is from what we see in our in our in our world, which is a lot of big tanks, uh, cylinder conical um, vessels, in the square tanks that they have, incredibly different profiles for sure. Yeah, one of the questions we got was about the yeast strain, actually. Um, if you'd experimented with different temperatures and if you got any interesting results. Uh, difficult for us to experiment different temperatures because uh, our yeast decides. And our yeast decides, and she, she doesn't want to, to work to, <laughs> to lower temperature, so we respect it. Uh, now we, I know we work at quite, quite high temperature uh, for fermentation, but... Uh, the only thing we can do is to, to avoid excessive temperature. I mean, we pitch the world to 20, 28 uh, degrees Celsius. And uh, the only thing we, we do is to avoid that the temperature rises too high. Uh, because uh, if we leave the, the vessel so, uh, we can find some beer at uh, 40 degrees Celsius. And the yeast survive. And normally, a classic yeast uh, will die at uh, 26, 28 29, we pitch at 20, 28, and uh, it could rise to 240, and the yeast is still okay. But uh, we try to avoid. Yeah, that was a good question. Who asked that? Sean did from Manhattan Beer. All right, Sean. Home brewer, aficionado, extraordinaire. Cool. You know, one, one thing we've noticed over the years is do you feel, Tommy, that do you think that Belgian breweries have more secrets? Do you think they're open to sharing? Or do you think that's more prevalent in America? Yeah, you used to have this sense that if you asked a Belgian brewmaster about their beer, they would tell you 90% of what they wanted you to know. Um, but the 10% you wanted to know, they would never tell you, and that was the most important 10%. Um, I think that, that there's an, a sharing of information, but some mystique is okay. I mean, we're, in, we're living in an age where people, um, at least 10 years ago, were really trying to recreate with high level of fidelity, the exact same beer. And so someone would say, this is my Saison de Pont clone, and I know that they use these four hops, and this is the temperature, and, and this is the yeast. And we've always felt that it's important not to go to that level of fidelity, that it's important to, to be inspired by something and to work around that. And that's why our Carnival um, has these American hops in it with some of those same yeast qualities and textures. But we can't make the beer taste the same, so we shouldn't try um, so if he doesn't want to tell us what's in 10% of the beer, because that's, that's part of their, their basis for protecting um, how classic this beer is, we should, we should respect that. It's, you, know, you don't have to give away all your secrets. It's a lot of magic. And then for, for you as an American brewer, you've had things like you've won a lot of medals at GABF, World Beer Cup. It's all put you on the map. Um, is there anything like that in Europe, or, or do you feel like you've also done enough of those and do you, do you still want to keep winning world beer cups and gabf medals well winning never gets old you know but the the basis for winning is to make the best beer you can and if you're making the best beers that you can produce um they should compete at a very high level and that's so for us you know we want to we want to be in those competitions um to showcase the the talented brewers that we that we have and the flavors we're creating, um, but our expectation is not to win every time we go out. Our expectation is to make the best beer we can. Great, and I think you got another question. Uh, yeah, um, two actually. For Olivier, uh, your earliest brewing inspiration, where you got your inspiration from, aside from your family, and also how many generations or times do you reuse the same batch of yeast? We have uh, for the second question, we, we can reuse the yeast during uh, two years or three years. It depends on the, the quality of the barley malt. Uh, so we, we, can, we are able to, to, to do uh, 
100 to 150 generations. If we have high quality barley malt, I mean a lot of uh, um, nitrogen, azote alpha mini, um, amino acids uh, in the barley. But uh, if we have some difficult years for the barley malt quality, uh, we need to do a new generation after 30 batches, 30 multiplications. And the first question was the inspiration. Yeah, who, what beers or breweries or people inspired you aside from your family? Personally, I am a, a great, great, great fan of uh, Goose, of uh, traditional Goose. So in my personal cellar, I have uh, maybe 200 bottles of, uh, of Goose. So nice of you to invite one year us to, 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 <laughs> to 20 years uh, aging. Uh, so uh, it's my péché uh, mignon. Yeah, yeah. Say in, uh, in French, um, if you want some uh, some brands, uh, I a like, uh, yeah. of course, uh, the Cantillon range, but also Girardin, uh, Black Label, um, De Cam, Goose, uh, Drie Fontaine. Uh, it's my experience. But I I do not produce any Goose in the brewery, and uh, I am also uh, a fan of uh, of Stout. I made some trials, three months trials uh, in England after my studies, and so uh, it's why we I started again with uh, with a stout in Brasserie du Pont. My grandfather did the stout, the monk stout in the year 50, and uh, he stopped to to produce this beer. But I was really uh, uh, fanatic of the old label he had, and uh, so uh, maybe seven years ago I decided to to start again with uh, this stout, keeping the old label, the old image, but with a new receipt. Uh, in your receipt, sorry. Um, and so we, we produce a stout with 5% alcohol. It's more, more close to, a, to, to, an, uh, to an Irish stout, a porter, but uh, we kept the name among stout. That was a good Before we go to the next one, let's ask Tommy, too, for you. You know, what, what do you have in your cellar? Are there certain things that you're cellaring? Are you also cellaring wine? No. 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 I drink the wine. <laughs> I drink the wine. We cellar the beer. Um, I have a library of things that go back to when I first started producing beer 20 years ago. Um, anything that we've done over the years, we tend to keep at least a case or two of. Uh, so the the range is pretty exceptional. Um, we don't drink them that often, but uh, you know, just a, a you know, we have a large brewery and a, and a giant refrigerator, so we're able to keep a decent amount of beer behind. And uh, someday we'll open them up and have a big party. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another question from these guys. Uh, for Tommy, what do you prefer to actually brew? Like the big core IPAs, the smaller, uh, your sour program, or what's the favorite beer that you've ever personally brewed? Commercial. I prefer to brew anything not not uh, Bach Lager. That's my, yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I don't like, and, and I don't like smoked beers that that much. So anything anything around that. We specialize in a large range of beers. We we produce some 50 or 60 different beers per year, including all the different barrel age things that we do. So. I, I think my favorite thing to produce is the wide range of beers. Um, these days, we're working with a lot of new hops um, as part of our new hop concept series, and so IPA is is what we love at the brewery to to drink. Um, but when we get a chance to cellar some of these beers that we produce that are a little bit more esoteric, um, very exciting to, to have those around. But any day of the week that we get to make something that's um, got our own spin on it or our own basis is a good day. So um, just not Bach beer. <laughs> anything but Bach. Got it. <clears throat> that makes sense. And then the last thing for you guys, well, not the last, but 
if both of you had one beer to drink for the rest of your life, and I think 90% of us would say Cezanne Dupont, um, but if you had one beer to drink for the rest of your life, what would it be? And if you don't want to choose, you don't have to. Joker. Yeah, what is it? Joker. In Belgium, we say. What's that? May Forget I see it. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, got <laughs> Water. <laughs> You're never going to drink. Really, not from Olivia. Olivia, come on. Everybody give a big hand to Olivia because <laughs> I know. He came on and. Uh, <laughs> I'm making fun of but his famous quote forever is going to be, okay, so, okay, so, okay, so. You're doing a great job um, talking to us in English. But for real, like, you know, you, you, I think you really liked hearing about the beers you have in your cellar. That was a secret we didn't know, right, And That was something that comes out in these interviews. And we know that Tommy has stuff that he won't tell us that one day there was a party. But what about you, Anne? You know, doing this event, putting this together, you know, are, are, are there some beers that... that you'd like to see coming up in the future? Are you going to do other tastings like this? Yeah, well, it's just funny what, what Tommy was saying about going to Belgium. And there's something for me, I always use the word in context, and it's just seeing these in context and, you know, going to Belgium, and they say, I came back and everyone said, well, what did you get to try that you never had? What was so exciting? And it, you know, a lot of these beers are exported, so there's not a ton that we don't get in New York, but it's the way it's done. It's the... I guess, attention to detail. It's, again, being in the place that it's brewed, being in its proper C2, you know, in, in C2, like you say, in the art world. But just, it's the experience. I think that experience is something that's so crucial. And I think the more bars and restaurants that can provide the whole experience and not just about sitting at the bar and having your beer and drinking it and writing it down, I mean, just enjoying it as part of a larger picture, right, as part of... What your your friends that you're talking to and the music that's playing and, and the conversation I think is something that Belgium does really really well. So I'd like to see more of experiential components in bars and restaurants. That's great. We're going to close out the the radio portion. Um, Olivier, Tommy, do you want to say anything before we close out? It's been awesome to be here. Um, this is the, the the first set of beers on a nine day road trip for us. So um, <laughs> you're blessed because we're we're not tired and. Um, and we're looking forward to more great visits. So thank you for having us. Thanks, Tommy. First trip in the, in the States, for the first day or so, and first experience. A great experience. Thank you. That was great. And thanks for setting this up. Yeah, thanks for so big much shout for out coming. Tre- Treadwell Park, and um, we're on, what, 62nd and 1st Avenue in Manhattan. Yeah, man. Great place. And uh, thanks to everybody, our engineer, David Tadashore. First time we're doing kind of a live audience uh, recording of Beer Sessions Radio. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.